Hi y'all, it's Jerome, and today we're gonna to talk about sustainability and coffee. That's so perfect for us. This conversation is with Josh Holt from Coffee Story, a London-based specialty coffee roaster that's woven sustainable practices and sustainable thinking into their business model. For more information on Coffee Story, you should absolutely check out their website at coffeestory.uk. So, in addition to that little intro, I have two other reasons for popping in. First off, Coffee Story's Instagram handle is at coffeestory.uk, and so is their website, and that's the name that I put in all my notes. But their business name is just Coffee Story, and they're located in the UK. In the beginning of this conversation, I mistakenly referred to them as Coffee Story UK, but it's just Coffee Story. As I was editing this one, I could tell that Josh wanted to correct me, but he's just too polite. I do correct myself during the episode, but I want to make sure that we all support the right company, Coffee Story. Also, Right before our first coffee break, Josh throws a little shade towards some larger coffee roasters and retailers, so at his request, I dropped the sound when he says their name. Because, you know, nobody here is trying to get sued. Okay? Okay, let's go. Hey everybody, uh, welcome back to Bottomless Coffee. And today we are going to talk about sustainability. So I'm Jerome, I'm your caffeinated host. Uh, and as we talked about in episode seven, it is um, really important when discussing sustainability that industry leads the change in sustainable practices. Because um, if I uh, am as responsible as possible. If I have even like a carbon regenerative footprint, then if producers continue to behave in the same unsustainable and toxic way, then we're really not going to see any change. However, if producers uh, pivot to a more sustainable um, business practice, then I as a consumer will also be more sustainable. And um, for my mental health, this makes me very happy, my neighbors and friends and strangers I've never met will also be more sustainable. And so today, for our very first conversation with uh, someone in an industry, in general, right, <laughs> a producer, um, we've got someone, Josh, who is practicing sustainability in, get this, Coffee <laughs> is really pretty perfect for us. How are you, Josh? I am good, thank you. Really excited to be here. Good. Um, so there is a little bit of a time difference. I'm in Minneapolis. You're in Europe, the UK, right? And London, yes. Yes. And so it's just a little bit later in the day for Josh to be having coffee. Um, but for those of us who can see the video, there are tubs and tubs of magic beans, um, behind him. Now, um, Josh, very quickly, what are your pronouns? I'm he and his. Okay, fantastic. 
Um, and you started Coffee Story UK. Yes, absolutely. Well, can you just tell us a little bit about Coffee Story UK and how uh, how this happened? How how'd you end up here? Well, it's a bit of a weird journey hmm. um, because I mean I, I began my working life in student activism. Um, I was oh. the president of a student union in the UK, um, the Union of Jewish Students. So, like, very much like political. Um, I always thought I was going to go down the whole civil service um, kind of route and go into yeah. politics and all this type of thing. And while I love it, and I've always will have an interest and passion in political engagement, I kind of after working in that field for a year, I thought, nah, this isn't <laughs> for me. Um, this isn't what I want to do. Um, and I want to do something completely, completely different. And so... Yeah, I think completely different is accurate, a good description. Um, so you know Dahlia from our last episode. But she's based in Germany, right? Yeah. So were you in Germany at the time? Um, I So when I decided to go into this kind of field? Well, the previous field. Oh, so working in student <laughs> politics... Um, no, I was based in the UK. Okay. Um, so the Union of Jewish Students is like a representative body of Jewish students in the UK. Um, but also, yeah. as well as that, I decided to be involved in the European Union of Jewish Students as well, gotcha. which is like the European-wide um, kind of union body. I got in, I met Dahlia through that, um, got involved, came to the States with them um, for various, um, like I think it was um, the AJC Congress or something. So like, cool was able to do that with Dahlia as well um, and try and stay involved like always have my ear to the ground with what's going on in that world um, but as I said I decided I just need to that can be a passion and interest but not what I want to kind of make my career and base my career around. So instead you're focused on the magic beans the coffee beans yeah. and the tag for coffee story is ethical responsible and delicious and so um, like i've done like a smidgen of research on your company but maybe introduce us to coffee story uk and what you do and then let's really dive into the ethical and responsible responsible part of the tag absolutely i'm um, so i kind of the way i got into this um, whole random very very random field <laughs> um is my girlfriend is ethiopian um, and I went over there to visit her family who are still out there. And they have some family friends who are huge, like the biggest coffee exporters in Ethiopia. And so oh. I just remember we went to their offices and they had like a, a kind of a coffee, like a, a, we'll call them a sample roaster. So like little roasters, like lots of different um, kind of chambers to roast them. And we did a coffee cupping and I just thought this is the best thing ever. Like, oh it gosh. smells fantastic. I'd always loved coffee, but I'd never kind of known much about it. And I thought, okay, this is when I finish, um, I'm going to save up all my wage from here on out. And this is what I'm going to do. Um, but I don't want to just start any old coffee company. I don't want to um, kind of, there's a lot of people doing this type of thing, and a lot of people making bold claims. And so what I wanted to do with Coffee Story was kind of come up with a USP that I hope to not be a USP very soon. And that mm. is doing ethical properly, like actually kind of following through um, with what it is. So when you buy coffee from us, I, what I'd like to do is tie my personal success, the business's success in with the success of 
farmers who are practicing sustainable um, and responsible, environmentally conscious and socially conscious practices. Yeah. So kind of like touching on that tagline of ethical, responsible, delicious. And so the, the ethical side, in my mind, it kind of is all about doing the right thing, but more than just the headline. So you, you can say, I don't know, um, all our coffee is organic or fair trade. And that's really great. But actually, when you delve into that, and not, not to knock organic or fair trade, but just for, for me and for my journey and the, and the business and what I think has the most impact, mm. organic and fair trade are fantastic for massive producers, but they have to pay for those certifications. And so when you're insisting on producers who can't even afford fertilizers, like, for example, in Ethiopia, there are they don't use chemical fertilizers because the farmers are suffering massive poverty. And when you then insist on, on certification, not yeah. only do you not have access to a huge array of fantastic coffees, but you also kind of pushing smallholder farmers out of the picture. And that, that's true for all these certifications. But obviously that, that headline isn't there. And so for the kind of the very essence of what I mean by ethical is delving into this whole sphere um, in a much more holistic, much more, I believe, considered way um, of actually where is the maximum benefit the maximum good for yeah, the yeah. farmers and so the way that we decided to do that was to give back 10 percent of all of our retail profits to farmers at origin um to support those projects um on that origin. So i can get into the projects themselves a bit later maybe wow okay okay so um you would not have had a chance to uh probably hear this episode on environmentalism yet but we were i was very caffeinated for that episode and we were all over the place and we did come to this question of um how you do the most good how you make sure that you're doing the most good and so it kind of sounds like these certifications look really pretty on the packaging but they don't necessarily mean that you're doing um the most good for the farmers in particular who are um practicing you know organic practices because they have to, <laughs> but they have no way of advertising that practice. So um, that's really fantastic that you chose to um, support them in this way. And then you, you mentioned a an acronym. Was it URP? UPR? Oh, USP. So, USP. Can you tell us what USP is? So like um, a unique selling point. So when um, mm. it's like... Yeah, I mean, starting out the business and just making sure that you have something that makes you stand out from the competition. And, and as I'm sure you have in the US, you have in the UK as well, massive specialty coffee scene. There's new roasters sure. popping up all the time. Um, so it's just some point of differentiation. And that's becoming, it's becoming a lot harder because there's, yeah. I, I think in the UK, there's close to 500 or 600 specialty coffee roasters. And that number is growing all the time. Um, and in the US, it's obviously significantly more. Um, and everyone's making claims like ethical coffee. That's you see that a lot. Um, I, I think there's a good story actually. If we have time for this, just a quick little kind of side note. So I remember going to a specialty coffee association event, um, and hearing from I believe it was a Norwegian, um, coffee roaster, and he basically coined the term direct trade. Um, okay. and and direct trade being dealing directly with the farmers. So he had this this phrase, and because he's a very nice guy, everyone, every um, coffee producer, roaster that wanted to use that term direct trade, would just send them an email, ask them some questions, 
And if they kind of could meet the criteria of what it actually meant, traceability and so on, he would say to them, fantastic, Mm. please use this. And then it was one of the largest coffee roasting companies, a massive large company in this country that he was in, they started using it. So he got in touch with them and said, I'm really excited that you're using this term direct trade. Um, And I just wanted to kind of ask you these questions to ensure that you are, that your practice is in the spirit of this, of what this means. Um, And he heard back from their lawyers, sending him effectively cease and desist letters, like, and they have gone ahead and barred him from using this and basically threatened him with legal action should he carry on. Um, And so I think that the, kind of from this mm-hmm. story, this was like right at the very beginning of my journey. And what I took from this was that you, with all the best intention in the world, unfortunately you have large multinationals who use this as marketing. And so for yeah. me and for Coffee Story, it's about more than marketing. It's about kind of measurable impact on the ground. And I think a lot of that comes down to kind of knowing um, within yourself that what you're doing is, is good. And so kind of going back to what you're saying about how do you, how to do good, how to know what's good. I think that as long as you're not talking for the farmers, as long as you're not kind of telling, mm. I could go and tell you a load of stuff that farmers think, but obviously I don't know that because I'm not a farmer. Um, and so I think it's just kind of yeah. ensuring that what I'm trying to do is amplify those voices, but not detract from their own ability mm-hmm. to tell their own stories. Um, and so I, I feel that when you don't, have that so when you have this there's a story with um, direct trade like this very well-meaning term that actually now you see that plastered everywhere and it doesn't mean anything wow that sucks (laughs) (laughs) it's it was such such a nice marketing mark or such a nice uh bit of distinction uh and now it's ruined which is really unfortunate um now you kind of really hit on i think the story part of your brand, right? So I think coffee, we've got, we have a sense of it here on Bottomless Coffee. But when you mentioned the story and not wanting to speak for uh, the farmers, but to amplify those voices. Now, I think I saw a little bit of that on your Instagram, for instance. Um, But how else do you uh, work to amplify the voices of those farmers? So... Kind of the way that we do this, I just remember starting there, getting in touch with a load of coffee brokers, uh, because it's a new business that like you can't, yeah. they have minimum order quantities, it's very difficult. And I was basically saying to them, like, can can you give me the contact details of the farmers so I can send them an email and ask their bank details and transfer 10% of the of the profits I make into their bank account? And everyone just said, no, that's not how it works. Like, not going to happen. Oh, okay. We're not going <laughs> to give you our contacts. Not a chance. Um. And so that was kind of like this this introduction. Um, and so what I found was the world of like Instagram and uh, especially is fantastic because a load of farmers and cooperatives are actually on Instagram. I get messages daily from different people saying, can you try our coffees? Um, and what, what we do is if it kind of matches what we're hoping to sell to our customers, um, we do that. We take the samples and then I'll only ever buy a coffee that I really believe in, that I really feel is, is has the potential and, and the measure for that is like social commitment, environmental commitment. So making sure that they're kind of paying their workers a good wage and, and, and have all these measures in place and also that they're caring for the environment. That's kind of like the baseline. Um, so then kind of in terms of sharing that, well, every single packet 
that we buy, it really slows us down. Uh, but every single packet of coffee that mm. we sell has the story about the coffee on the back of it. Um, so that way, when you buy it, you are brewing it, and you can like have a little read of, of all about it. Um, and then, obviously, think... sorry. Oh, I just, I, well, one, I think that's wonderful. And um, I think about how you put that commitment to your ethos just right on the packaging. And it sounds like you were informed by the lesson of that direct trade or what have you to where just like a little mark isn't going to do it. You really have to put the whole story and spell it out for people just right on the packaging um, and in such a way that it can't be really replicated without these larger companies just outright lying to people. Um, we haven't um, discussed greenwashing on this program yet, but it really does seem like a type of greenwashing um, where some companies are saying that they are more sustainable or they engage in more ethical or better practices than they actually do. Now, it sounds like you also have a rubric for your producers. Um, you said social responsibility, environmental responsibility, and something else, and you... Uh, I think you almost tried to gloss over it, but I am so interested and the caffeine's really hitting. <laughs> so can you dive in just a little bit more into um, like the types of questions you ask uh, these farmers that hit you up on Instagram or where have you? And then, um, you know, maybe a, an example of a good and a bad so that people have an idea. Absolutely. Um, so with, and this is difficult as well. I'm not going to pretend we're doing this as much as I would like us to be sure. um, because we're a very small business and we minimum order quantities are like the biggest obstacle for any small coffee roaster mm. um, because they want to sell you like a container um, and you want a few bags. And so it's like a big disparity <laughs> between 15,000 tons and like a few hundred kilos. Oh. Um, well, you obviously don't do kilos, but whatever. Well, that like that is a big happy. difference. I... <laughs> I recognize that it's a big difference. <laughs> yes. Um, so in, in terms of the environmental and social commitments, um, I mean, I think a really good example of this is we work um, with an exporter in Uganda called Agri Evolve. Um, and so what they have done, this company, is they've gone to, they're based in the UK originally. Um, it's a father and son. The father's here, um, just in kind of the north of England. I mean, his son lives in Uganda in the, in the Rwenzori mountain range. And they've gone into this community that had absolutely perfect soil, perfect climate. Like the, the heritage isn't necessarily there, but the conditions, and they have the high altitude, like the conditions are fantastic for incredible coffee. But it was taking them maybe six plus months to harvest. The mm. practice was they didn't have the heritage there. So... When you go to like South America, you have real strong coffee heritage and it's all kind of intrinsic in a way, obviously not, but like it feels that way. And, and in this area, it wasn't happening. So it was taking them so long to harvest. And then they were carrying the coffee down this mountain range on their backs. Oh. And it took so long to get to port and so long to ship that by the time it would arrive here, what could have been an exceptional 86, 87 point SCA point coffee was maybe not even specialty grade. It was maybe like an 80. Mm. Um, and so because it had it graded and, and the processing wasn't up to scratch and so on. And so what they have done is they've gone 
into the Ronzori Mountains. They've made massive investment in, in milling. They bought a load of donkeys um, that can help them carry the sacks of coffee down the mountain range. The sacks are only 30 kilo sacks rather than 70 kilo sacks, so the donkeys can handle it um, comfortably. Ah, okay. Because um, again, that's important as well. You don't want to be overworking wow. um, these, these donkeys. Um, and through all sorts of um, these kind of change they're making on the ground, well, the coffee we have from them is exceptional. But more than that, that I mean, that, that's great and that's a lovely story, but also it could easily reek of white saviorism of like this sure. British father and son going into Uganda and sorting out the community there because they, and so rather than doing it in that way, they have built up this very like, intricate network of milling, of, of um, fermentation of the coffee and so on. And they've done that with the local community. Um, they're building schools to educate the local community about coffee, to instill that coffee culture, because this is an avenue out of poverty. And so it's, it's no, there's no handouts. There's no um, kind of transposing of ideology. It's just working with the community there to build up the coffee quality in the area. And the result of that, like, honestly, every time I get coffee from them, it's better than the last. Oh. <laughs> um, I've only discovered them very recently. So that's, um, and this was also from Instagram. It's fantastic. And what we were able to do is we were able to, um, they had a school there. And the headmaster of the school is also a beekeeper. You'll see him on our Instagram quite a lot. Um, and he also is kind of the guy in charge of the coffee production in the whole area. Um, and so he wanted, there's a school for underprivileged children there. Because um, you have to pay to go to school in Uganda. And so many people just stop being educated very early on because they have to go and work um, and so on. And so this school um, is helping 80 underprivileged children access education, learn about kind of what's happening. Um, and how not only the life skills you need in school and so on, but also like how to make a career for themselves in this very lucrative field. If you get it right, if the reputation of the area um, improves, which it has done, um, and is known for coffee excellence, then you can charge a premium for that and they can benefit from that. Um, and so what Agri Evolve have done is fantastic. And we're really excited to be able to like support uh, the school. There were renovation works to make the classrooms a bit better, a bit more advanced, textbooks and so on. And we're happy to be able to do that with the 10%. Um, which is great, but what's important is beyond that headline, like working with the community to make this happen. And I think that's going back to what you're saying. It's a bit of a, a long tangent, so apologies for that. Oh um, no, we love long tangents. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's kind of like a good example of, of how that environmental and social commitment can be seen out of origin. And I guess with the bad example, there's unfortunately plenty of them, especially mm. in South America in these larger state farms where you have workers that aren't well cared for you have um, massive overuse of water or fertilizers um and and so i, I guess the the issue with our um, our way of doing things is that we don't do anything to address that we just don't buy from those places right and so if i was going to be very critical of, of coffee story but also all ethical coffee roasters um people like kind of that take that badge that actually mean it well it's, it's all well and good kind of saying like consumer forces and so on, but specialty coffee in the UK accounts for between 20 and 25% of all coffee. Most people are still going to, st what do is, I mean, going to get it. What they do, in my opinion, <laughs> is absolutely um, not the best. And so they will, they'll go into like South America and they'll buy up whole fields of or like whole farms 
um, for at the C index price of coffee. Coffee's traded as like a futures, um, it's traded mm-hmm. on Wall Street as a futures market, and it's like that cost um, or, or whatever it is at the moment. I don't really keep too much attention to that, but it's below the cost of production. And so when these big oh, companies wow. go in and they say, "Yep, we'll buy the whole field," and then what you see in Brazil is they end up burning a load of coffee at the end to try and just push that price up um, a little bit. It, that's not that's not ideal. So that's what I guess would be a terrible example of of what unethical coffee looks like. Uh, I would agree with you. That's horrifying. Um, I would say uh, only because of the pandemic have I not been going to very recently. But I think that as a consumer, I would want to adjust my practices um, to not necessarily penalize that behavior, but to say, you know, that's just not the choice I'm going to make, kind of like what you're doing. Um, I want to do it a little bit differently. And it's uh, always interesting as a consumer to have to evaluate like every discrete choice, right? (laughs) Because because the the general trend across... um, you know, who I buy from, uh, or the things that I buy is that most organizations are not practicing um, in an ethical way or in a responsible way, um, and particularly not over time. So maybe, you know, maybe what they did in the beginning, maybe that business practice wasn't as bad uh, then as it is now because circumstances have changed. And so just that, you know, always having to learn about what the company is doing, how they're operating, how what the long-term downstream impacts of those operations are in the given moment or years from now, it can be tough. And so I am very grateful uh, for, you know, producers like yourself, um, for our, um, industry professionals like yourself that are taking that extra step and making sure that as an ongoing process, that you are sustainable now and that you'll remain sustainable um, in the true meaning of the word sustainable. <laughs> right. Um, why don't we take a coffee break? Our first one. You can I can have some water and I can feel I can feel the caffeine really kicking in. So we've got some um, we've got questions about your sustainable practices and the like coming up. So we'll get into it. Sound good? Fantastic. Okay. Sounds good. Hey everybody, we are back with Josh from Coffee Story. Uh, and Josh, I've got to get better about doing this. Um, what is your um, like your website link and your Instagram and that kind of stuff so people can connect with you? Oh, thank you. Um, so it's all coffeestory.uk. So on Facebook and Instagram, we're at coffeestory.uk. Um, and our website is www.coffeestory.uk. <laughs> um, and I did a little looking around on there and you can see... Um, uh, you can get a few more details about those practices um, that Josh engages in on the website. And then if you want to hit him up on Instagram, you can ask more questions about it um, and keep the conversation going. Please do. Now, yeah, right. That's how, by, that, by the way, that's how we talked. <laughs> Dahlia from the last episode messaged me um, and talked about being a guest and then she said oh and by the way you should also really have a conversation with josh and so here we are um and now uh we are grilling josh on sustainability (laughs) so i want to um kind of broaden people's way of thinking about um running a business that is sustainable 
um, because it's very difficult. And I think it's a different um, mindset than kind of the traditional capitalists exploit all the resources you can for the least amount of money and then sell it to anybody, any schmuck for the most amount of money, <laughs> right? Um, I think there is a, a process involved in running a business that's ethical, responsible, and sustainable that um, makes it a little different. So let me ask you, when you first started Coffee Story, um, you know, was it a hundred percent? Was it carbon regenerative right off the bat? Was it? <laughs> what was it like? And then, what are some of the um, business practices that you've adopted over time um, that have made it, you know, more and more ethical, more and more responsible? I'm so carbon regenerative, unfortunately, <laughs> um, as excellent as that would be. Um, I I think that starting out. It was absolutely fundamental, unmovably going to happen that I'm going to start out the way I mean to continue. Because, okay. I mean, the best example of this is my retail packaging. Um, so, got some here. Here we go. So, these little black bags, um, these are recyclable. Um, and they cost four times the amount of a non-recyclable alternative. Wow only a few weeks ago learned that actually they're not as recyclable as the company told me they are because the black dye can impact machines and all of this type of stuff. So when we buy our next load of packaging bags, we're finding new ones. Um, and that process took months and months and months to find recyclable yeah. packaging that would sell me less than 30,000 units because I had no way of shifting that much coffee. Hopefully that's a problem we'll face soon, but we're still nowhere <laughs> near um, selling 30,000 bags of coffee. And so with... And of starting out, it's absolutely essential to begin as you mean to go on, because otherwise, how many people with the best of intentions, you push it down, you kick the can down the road, and then next thing you know, you built up this whole business not around these, and then you have to kind of backtrack and implement these changes um, kind of in retrospect. And the result of that isn't that you won't implement those changes, but it's that you end up with what lo lots of large corporations do, which is they have very lovely headline goals of by 2090, we're going to have plastic free this. And well, you know what? If you have a, a legacy of a hundred years of coffee, I mean, it's still not good enough. You definitely shouldn't be saying like deferring this to the end of the, the um, century, basically. But if you have like, if you have that business behind you and you have those processes in place and those machines, then fair enough, it takes longer to transition. But when you're starting out from scratch, you have no excuse. The only excuse you have is cost. And why is it that we will justify a cost or like a, a small business owner can justify a cost um, for one thing, but not for the environment? And so I think for me, the biggest moment of knowing that I'm actually as committed to this as I always think I am in my head um, was we deliver all of our, we supply cafes and we deliver oh. to them in reusable plastic tubs. Um, like. Oh, wow. So we deliver coffee in those boxes. I'm literally yeah. applauding Josh right now for that business practice. <laughs> um, because if you're giving someone 20 kilos of coffee, that's four tubs that you then take back, clean, bring them again, rather than 20 individual, maybe recyclable, maybe mm -hmm. not, but a hell of a lot of, of raw virgin materials gone into producing those packets. And so the, the impact of that is huge. And like, 
it's, it's really, really large. And in all my time doing this, the three years, I think, there's only been one cafe that has said, no, not taking these plastic tubs. Uh, we don't have space for them. We're not interested. Um, and it was basically down to this point of, do I lose this business? Um, or do I have to kind of renege on that thing that is fundamental to everything that this business is about? Um, and I was like, well, it is a business. I'd be stupid to pass up business opportunity when I can't afford to. Maybe in the future when I can be a bit more picky, when the company can be like, yeah, we want to deal with you or not with you, fine. But we're a new business and we just don't have the ability to do that. That's the, the, that's the bottom line. Um, so I heard... Sorry. We've heard two business practices so far, um, and I think I, I feel as though we might even be able to dive into both. So the packaging to the consumer, um, like their individual consumer, is one. So when you first started out, what was the packaging for to the individual like? So always, always recyclable. Um, okay, but not like the black recyclable that you. The black us. recyclable, yeah. These the exact same ones. We bought loads of them. Um, oh, <laughs> because you from... were told <laughs> exactly that. Yeah, we bought so many of these, um, and they because the technology is changing all the time. So when we started out, it was all these are uh, category seven recyclables. Probably doesn't correlate in the US, but basically, you can recycle them with plastic supermarket carrier bags. Um, and here we have like curbside recycling collection, and they go into some curb some councils. They will accept them, and others don't. And so it's basically not ideal. Um, but the technology just, it, I, I looked for genuinely months and I couldn't find anything. Um, so you picked the most recyclable packaging that you could at the time. Precisely. That made sense for your business. Yeah. And then um, at some point, was it uh, a consumer that came back to you and said, hey, these aren't as recyclable as you think they are? Or was it independent research that uh, led you to that realization? independent research because i'm constantly every time these packages like our supply of these get low i'm looking well is this the best option anymore first of all from a price sense absolutely not it's it's ridiculous to be paying as i said four times more um mm-hmm. and so that's always like a huge kind of issue um but then there's also the fact that actually i'm always testing coffees from other of from competitors and so i, I happen to um get some coffee from them and i saw that theirs was category four recyclable which is um curbside in a lot more places and so i thought well hang on a minute that yeah. is obviously there and so i'm always checking i'm always trying to find out what is and what isn't kind of viable um in in a uk context as well this won't translate over into the states so well because obviously like this okay. is just kind of like local knowledge i guess of, of how these processes work um but with that client who said no to the reusable boxes, and I said, I'm not doing it. So when I went to buy the packaging, I found, like, I again, I had this choice of lose a customer or don't. I decided not to. And then I managed to find these big recyclable bags. Recycling isn't the solution anyway. It, it's it's terrible that, like, all of this these packets, no matter if they, they can be recycled immediately, it, it doesn't matter. Like, it's still using virgin mm-hmm. raw materials because for food you have to that's like the law over here i'm sure it's the same um over there with you guys and so like this is this is not ideal selling coffee and packages is not ideal um we actually supply a couple of zero waste shops so cool. that's i'd much rather do that that's way better we don't have like uh, premises ourselves and so it's like trying to navigate that difficulty and and 
being a viable business is doing the absolute best that we can really not just with some vague commitment for the distant future I and mean, that's kind of like the, the the middle ground if you like that we've reached so okay it sounds like we know where you started we have an idea of where you're going because you've identified that category four packaging for the consumer but it but you might prefer you likely prefer i think I'm, i feel safe to say some way of just directly delivering the coffee to people in a reusable way that doesn't cost any virgin materials or what have you. That would be like the ideal for you. In, in many ways, yes, but it's something I've looked into pretty extensively. And I think there's, there's a few issues with this. So there's a trend in the UK. Again, sorry for keeping on speaking specifically no, about the please, UK. Please, go ahead. Um, but there's a trend for like ethical brands to be like plastic free get your soap in this aluminium container. Like, well, it might look nice and it might be plastic free, but that's just more of this kind of BS in the headlines. And actually, if you look at it, the resources in the aluminium, yes, it's infinitely recyclable, but it doesn't get recycled. And even if it does, it's being produced still. Or um, the alternative would be to kind of do coffee in glass. But then when someone smashes the glass or throws the glass away, the amount of material in that, the weight in the shipping um, and, and the emissions from that is absolutely enormous. And then you also have to ask yourself as well, if you package the products in an insufficient way, and so the shelf life deteriorates because of that, then you've got this coffee that was grown. None of it's grown in Europe. It's all grown in either South America or in Africa countries. And it's come all the way around the world been shipped here, been transported um, from container ship to road. We never use air shipping um, because it like air freight because it's just so um, devastating. And and yes, the emissions for shipping are, are relatively lower compared to the alternatives, but it's still massive. Like the carbon footprint of any coffee in any country, unless you are literally growing it in your garden, is huge. And, and there's no pretending it's not. And then you're what you're going to put it in the incorrect packaging so that the shelf life is diminished and then it gets thrown away. And so it's, it's more, as I was saying before, it's more than just the headlines. It's about a really as considered as possible approach to find the pros and cons. And, and it's not just about good marketing of here's plastic free this or, or whatever it may be. I think um, one thing, so I work in marketing, right, for my day job. And I, I'm coming upon the realization that it's not necessarily that what as a consumer when I buy from a, a sustainable company that I'm being paying for, you know, the practices in that moment or the the packaging, the best packaging that they were able to buy in that moment. It's this thought process that you are engaging in all the time when you're always thinking about the most sustainable way to get. The, to get the product to you and to get the product to me or directly from them to me or whatever, you're, you're always doing the math, right? And you're considering variables that I don't even have any knowledge of. But from, these, from this conversation, I trust you to make those better decisions. And if that costs me an extra dollar, <laughs> then so be it. Because I can drink my coffee without, you know... Uh, having an anxiety attack in the middle of the night. And I'm um, helping farmers in Uganda. I'm helping the school in Uganda and what have you. 
And the like the price differential is really minuscule in comparison. Um, mm. So I but and I don't think a lot of people think about it in that way. My husband, for instance, I, I think I'm going to start a section of this podcast where I have one gripe about my husband. Um, <laughs> he uh, is always almost as like a cultural um, not reference point, something that's really important to him and the way he was brought up is always buying things at the, the lowest price first. Like he almost always compares things um, to what the lowest price is at some store within like a, I don't know, three state radius, I swear. <laughs> how, what, how much of a difference would it make if we instead could tell at a glance who is engaging practice, in practices like yours? Right. And then in a three state radius, be able to say, well, the 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 coffee over here at this place, you know, has, you know, 18 additional benefits for the entire world, even though it costs me an extra dollar. Um, And I don't think that way of thinking is really like gone mainstream yet. Uh, But what a better place we'll live in if, if it does. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to rant again. Because um, <laughs> we talked about the packaging to the consumers, but we didn't really touch on, uh, again, the reusable packaging that you supply to cafes and there's the zero shops around. And um, that's an invisible kind of benefit to supporting businesses like yours because... Um, you know, at no time in your consumer business, right? Like if I order coffee from you, I'm going to get the farmer's story on the packaging, right? There's not a lot of room on the packaging. So you can't, you can't tell me everything. But it's so huge um, that you are supplying local, the local area uh, coffee in this reusable way. And it's, it's just something other places aren't doing that they should be doing that I would want to support but I wouldn't know about it, right? And I, uh, so everyone buy coffee from Coffee Story in the UK, if you're close by. <laughs> I, think, I think at the risk of, of kind of contradicting the host a bit, which you should never do, um, I, I think just on the point of that price differential, um, mm. so in, in the market I'm in, what I found is that if you say you're ethical, if you say you're responsible, if you tell people all about the stories and all the rest of it, they're interested, 100%. The minute they have to pay more than a competitor, they're not interested. But if you can offer an ethical product on the one hand um, versus the unethical product, and that price point isn't, there's no differentiation or that differentiation is, is really, really minimal. We're talking like less than a dollar difference, like really small amount, then every single time they'll go to the ethical one because the consumer mm. wants to do the right thing, but they don't want to think about recycling packaging and, and the the emissions of, of this and that and, and i think more now people are kind of worried about that as well and so there's definitely a move of people who will happily pay a premium for this but what i have found with the exception of the ridiculously expensive packaging is that there doesn't need to be necessarily such a high premium for green goods like it, it's a lot of that just comes down to the fact that there's a, a gap in the market and so suppliers of green goods are like cool let's double our margin because why not um and so i, th- I think for us in the market we're in, it's a huge part of this is just making 
trying to make it as accessible as possible. And sometimes people turn around and go, whoa, that's expensive. But specialty coffee always is expensive compared to like not specialty coffee. So I think within the within the specialty coffee roasters in the UK, like we're very competitively priced. Um, and I think what, what it is that's giving is, well, first of all, we don't have like the prestige of or some of the better known uh, people who charge like, I don't know, 11 or 12 pounds for a small little packet like the one I showed you before. Um, but also it's just because like our our margin is more reasonable, I guess. Um, and and so it's, that's kind of like where we're at with that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's uh, my rant. Maybe that's not relevant. But... <laughs> well, I'm not going to contradict the business owner, but some of that extra margin can go into marketing. Um, hopefully sustainable marketing. I don't know. <laughs> In a way that, you know, that helps amplify those stories and what have you, I think. Okay. Yay. Um, so uh, I think it's important to touch again on uh, the farmers that you support. It's really, I know it's one of your business practices, it's one of your um, points of ethos, I guess, to amplify those voices. So are there... Are there farmer stories you'd like to share? Is there something good you'd like to give to the world? Tell a good farmer story. I, I'm just going to drink my coffee and enjoy it. Fantastic. Do that. Um, so obviously, as well as I told you the story about uh, Uganda, I think there's a, a lovely um, situation in Peru. Um, so we bought, actually it was supposed to be for Christmas. Um, we bought a load of Peruvian coffee. There were really bad rains. It got delayed. It didn't actually show up until far too late for Christmas. So we lost all that trade. And that, that's another issue with buying direct, which we do wherever possible, is that you have issues like that. Whereas if you're buying from a broker and it's in a warehouse, it's just in a warehouse. Um, heavy rains don't normally like come and factor into things. Um, and so this cooperative that um, we deal with um, in Peru, they are running really transformative um, project so coffee is especially in in southern america but generally around the world it's a super patriarchal system um mm. and that's kind of like a legacy of colonialism because it's, it's a colonial crop it was like coffee was bought out of ethiopia to yemen and then to latin america by via um, like colonial um kind of expedition and so when you're looking in Latin America, you've got this, this massive um, patriarchal system of the, the men are the ones that benefit and the women are, are totally um, financially dependent on, on the male household members. And then so what this uh, co-op is called is called Juma. Um, I'm not going to pretend I can say the Spanish name very well, so I'm not going to. Um, okay. And basically what they're, they're doing a whole load of different things. Um, but this particular project that I want to tell you about is called the Coffee Woman Project. Um, and so it is empowering the women in the cooperative to grow their own coffees, to market their own coffees, to roast their own coffees, and to sell them on the local market. Um, and so what this is, is doing, is you've got, um, I think it's 35 um, women ranging in age from 18 all the way to 65. Like it's a really broad, um, broad project. However, this, these people working within this cooperative they're turning the system on its head because they're being involved in areas of production that they were women not involved in at all. Um, and so I think that's fantastic. And, and I mean, the money that we actually give to uh, back to Peru for our Peruvian um, coffee is going to the farmer himself. He's called Coleman. 
um, we need to actually transfer him. That's on the to do list. Um, and he like it's to be able to be involved in these projects at Origin is fantastic. When I started, I had this whole vision of like going to Origin all the time and all this type of thing. And between airfares, um, pollution, and coronavirus, um, that hasn't happened very much. Um, and and as the kind of future develops, I want to be more involved in those stories themselves rather than just telling our consumers and our people, prospective consumers, about what's going on. I'd very much like to be more kind of intimately involved in those stories. Um, but I mean, that one in the through is always a nice one. They're also running a project to offset the carbon emissions of transportation to the port. Oh. Um, and that's through reforestation um, with indigenous tree species. That's a whole other issue which we will <laughs> not get into um, with, with carbon offsetting and all the rest of it. Um, and then we also we support um, a fantastic charity which is based in the US. Uh, so I would encourage all of your listeners to check them out. They're called Food for Farmers. Um, Tell me about food for farmers. Food for farmers, yeah. <laughs> and they, they work to tackle malnourishment in farming communities. Because it's when I first heard about this, I thought, what? But, but what happens is um, in lots of Latin American countries, the, like, they grow whatever crop that it is that they're growing, especially in coffee, and they sell all of their crop. They don't have anything left for their families. And they don't make a lot of money. And then they end up buying in junk food, um, yeah. like junky packet food. And it doesn't have the nutritional content that people there need, or any people need. Um, and as a result, there's massive issues of malnourishment in farming communities, especially amongst children. So what mm-hmm. Food for Farmers do is they go into, um, they're working on the ground with the communities as well. Again, that's kind of essential to everything. None of this, when I say go into, it sounds like they're parachuting in and then, make a change and then leaving and just like not at all that's that's a, a remnant of my kind of political background of like don't ever do that it doesn't work um <laughs> and and so they're going um in origin working with communities to educate about nutrition um, and to ensure that farming communities have access to high nutritional food and aren't dependent on this and are earning, earning more money for their crops so that they're able to kind of not only hold some back to feed their families but also and to be able to benefit from food um, in the way that we as consumers, when we're going to grab yeah. our coffee, we never think about, oh, malnourishment. That doesn't cross our mind. Like, you go to whatever coffee shop you go to or you brew it yourself at home. Like, these things are not even in the picture. And yeah. and I think that's, like, the issue with kind of Western consumerism is that we have no benefits, uh, like, no, not no concern, but no awareness of, what's going on where the stuff that we yeah. use make eat whatever comes from um, and so that's basically the essence of coffee stories to tell the story behind the coffee to make that connection between consumers and producers and, and yes all of the stories we're telling are, are nice stories of the farmers we work with that are doing this and the, the issues we're tackling and helping to contribute to on the ground and, and all the rest of it um, but there's a lot of work to be done still um, and then we ourselves, like we have room to grow as well. So, um, and saying to Jeremy in our coffee break, um, that like we, we don't always buy direct from farmers. We try to, as much as I can, I try to. And with this Peruvian coffee, I, I bought way too many bags of it because if I bought more bags, the price went down for the shipping. And so I was like, okay, buy loads of them. And I'm stuck with a load of Peruvian coffee that I've, I've like 
It's fantastic. <laughs> People love it. But I went totally to town. Like, <laughs> forecast aside, I didn't need those. And, and so that's not always possible for a small business, cash flow and so on. And so sometimes we buy from, um, from spot coffee, from brokers. And, and the brokers we deal with always pay the farmers, like, at least twice the fair trade price. So you know they're getting a good deal. And we still share the yeah. story of that farmer with you on the packets and so on. But that's not the way we'd like to be able to buy coffee. But it's a reality. And, and that's kind of, I think that's important to put out there as well, though. I don't want it to come across as like explaining what Coffee Story does and why the sun shines out of, a kind of the sun shining from us. And it's not that at all. It's always a, a progress. Um, and we're always kind of reflecting and learning and trying to do better. And as we grow, that's the aim to be able to do more rather than to scale back that commitment. I agree. I think it's always going to be a journey. And I think um, if we had the same conversation 10 years from now, you would just uh, make sure to identify something else that you could be doing better <laughs> because it's just part of the ethos. Let's take a quick coffee break and then we'll come right back and we'll talk about supporting Coffee Story. Uh, we are back from a very calm, peaceful, thoughtful coffee break. Um, I was given the opportunity to find an inspirational quote to relate to you all, and I declined. <laughs> but um, to conclude the conversation, as always, Josh, how can we at the Bottomless Coffee community support you? And it's, you know, as coffee drinkers, this one should be easy. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't even know if we can ship to the US. Buy our coffee, please. Um, but I, I think I think more than just like the obvious. Um, I think for for us, being aware of of where things come from, or like sharing a little thought as you drink your coffee for that process that it's gone through, because it it's not just arrived in a packet. Like it that's been picked, it's been washed, it's been processed, it's been milled, um, and and I'm not supposed to talk about farmers and so on but like it's gone through this whole big long chain then it's been shipped and it's been roasted and then it's been shipped out to you so just having that awareness of what it actually is that you're consuming um i, I think for us in yeah. brahmish and that, that's kind of like halfway there i mean then making that conscious choice of, of doing the right thing supporting an ethical coffee company um i'd love very much like it to be ours but there's also a whole host go. of <laughs> coffee companies where you're listening as well um, who are just trying to do the right thing. And I think that's kind of the this really important thing. I mean, supporting these brands because, you know, anyone can go to a big a big chain. Um, but actually those local independents, the ones that, that could do with the support, and they're actually trying to do more impressive and transformative things. Um, and so just being a part of that story, if you like, um, is, is what it's all about. Um, and so for us, follow us on that on instagram go our facebook yeah. page a like like sign up to our, our newsletters on our website and, and obviously buy the coffee as well taste it enjoy it um but but more and a more long lasting than all of that is just to have that awareness as a consumer of the power that you have uh, because those big companies that are doing pretty dreadful things if there's consumers saying we're not going to buy from you unless you change your ways well you know what i would genuinely honestly not from a business sense, but from a personal sense, I would love for everything that I'm doing to just be, and what? Like, mm. who cares? Everyone's doing it. It's irrelevant. I mean, that's what it should be. And, and I think when that is the case, 
then I'll find something else to do. Um, but but I, I think that, that that change only happens with consumers making that conscious effort. So that's kind of what I would say to that. Support companies that are doing the right thing. I love that. And um, to continue to plug your company that's doing the right things, you never know. I could have friends in the UK that drink coffee. <laughs> so I could buy for them on your website. <laughs> I, I hear there's a Peruvian blend in stock. <laughs> it is indeed. That one's a very sweet one. So, yeah. Well, Absolutely. thank you so much for this wonderful, uh, caffeinated on my part conversation. I'm really excited to continue engaging with you and to follow your journey to see see what you're doing next. I don't know. what What's the packaging going to look like in a couple of months? <laughs> This has been really wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to come on. Um, and I hope that that was beneficial to your listeners. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Josh. Very welcome. You did it! Thank you for joining in the conversation today. If you would like exclusive access to live streams of these conversations, if you want to hear what goes on during the coffee breaks, or if you'd like to join a community of people who help to make this podcast possible, then please join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash bottomlesscoffee. Bottomless Coffee Podcast is produced by me, Jerome Evans, on social media everywhere as at Jerome T. Evans. Our Patreon producers are listed in the episode description. You can connect with the podcast on Instagram at at bottomless coffee podcast our music is by noir et blanc v and god mode thanks all and i'll see you next time